0: the growing calls across the nation to defund the police to end policing as we know it. off the charts violence in new york city 11 people shot in just eight hours on this is sunday about the police officers officers who every single day put on that uniform and they run towards danger when we run away from it You were born and raised in the 12th precinct, I think is what you said. 50, 52nd precinct. 52nd. God, I was way up no. 53rd
1: precinct, which was in car 54. Where are you? But in the, the non-existent 53rd precinct. But I was in 52nd precinct.
0: And I, I, we were talking about journalism. And you kind of like had like a cringe in your voice about journalism. And I wanted to ask you about that. Do you have an opinion on, on journalism today versus when you were into journalism, uh, you know, back in the old days?
1: Well, you know, you know how it is. Things change. Journalism has changed, you know, in my youth, journalism had changed since my parents and grandparents generation. Journalism has changed. Now it's become very consumer driven, politically driven. It's no longer satisfying advertisers, it's satisfying uh, your audience and your audience is very partisan. So journalism has become so much partisan. Um which I really care for that's my personal opinion you know right right I think they could I think they should do better they should do things the way I want them to do things because I'm always right you see so if they do (laughs) things the way I want them to do things it'll be perfect
0: that's I tell my wife about going to church she's always wanting us to find a church I said if we could just find a church of Eric Tanzi I'd go every Sunday yeah
1: you know exactly the point you know so you know I'm not crazy about what's happened to journalism recently I well, after what's the, what's the, what is the, what are, what did the polls say? Journalists have like a, a better, uh, you know, they used car salesmen are twice as popular as journalists.
0: But yeah. It, it seems like uh, journalism is a dying trait, but you know what? It, it, all things that die get to come back. So maybe there's going to be uh, a Renaissance, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Maybe there'll be a Renaissance, you know, maybe the, uh, you know, Maybe the handsome cab will come back. You know, the, the, the horse and buggies will also come back. You know, newspaper journalism, which is what I was sort of brought up in, is really dying. You know, it. they thought it was dying in, during the Great Depression. Okay, they thought it was dying. But now it's really dying. Now <laughs> newspapers that survived the Great Depression when people were literally, literally starving to death. Now newspapers that survived the Great Depression are just going, by, going out like flies. It's just... Uh... It's unfortunate, you know, and by the same token, you know, like I say, the unpopularity of journalism, the partisanship of journalism has become a, uh, a subject of discussion within what remains of the journalism profession. But
0: are you still involved in journalism or are you just strictly writing books?
1: No, I'm involved in as much journalism as I can afford to do, you know. I mean, uh, journalism doesn't
0: pay quite what it used to. Okay.
1: But, uh, yes, I still engage in magazine journalism uh, when I can find a magazine that can afford me. Uh, So, uh, yeah, I'm very expensive. You know, I'm I'm costly because I'm the best.
0: Because you're the best in the biz, man. You're the best in the biz, you know. You're channeling a a little bit of the uh, the, the crazy Eddie mantra here, which I love because in the book, like, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I loosely remember the crazy Eddie commercials yes. and, and, you know, so when I saw that you had the book coming out, I was like, wow, how is that going to ruin the commercials for me or make them even better? Uh, because you know, there's a lot, it's weird about those commercials. Cause there's a lot of questions to be asked when you don't know the context of the story, especially back then when nobody knew the context of the story, it's like, you wanted to know more about this brand. want to know about that. Uh, I, I feel like you've channeled some of that in your book and you did a great job doing it. How did you work? What was your strategy on when you were writing this book? Mm-hmm. What was your strategy on how to, to write that story?
1: Well, you know, my feeling was just should let the story tell itself. As my old journalism professor at City College used to say, let the story tell itself. Which, by the way, is pretty meaningless, you know, when you think about it. But nevertheless, I tried not to inject myself. You know, sometimes writers, when they write books, they, 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 they have, you know, a blank sheet of paper and complete creative controls. So oh you know, the time for me to tell about my, my story, and what I did, and I tried to keep out of it. You know that's a mistake. It's an easy mistake, which I've made in the past. You got. I tried to keep myself out of it and just try to look at it from this standpoint of the reader. You know, what's the reader going to want to read? You know, is he going to want to turn the page? Is he going to want to go into the next chapter? If I, you know, if it's just about me, you know, and just or if I write about stuff that might interest me but maybe not interest them. So just try to make it interesting. That's really all. And it was easy to make it interesting. There's a lot to be interesting. About this, really, it's an interesting story. So it's
0: an it's a it's an amazing story. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm waiting for the movie to come out. Yeah, me too. I, yeah, I think it would be.
1: Yeah, well, whatever. We'll see. We, we'll I mean, see. I
0: think it could be a, an incredible comedy. Like I I, I, I would like to see it as. I know it's a it's a serious story, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of theatrics, and there's a lot of there's a lot of room for for comedy Ooh, in the seriousness it. of that story. Sure, um, sure. The characters are very very wild and uh, you know i don't know I, I like when when they turn movie when they turn serious kind of subjects like like crazy eddie but mm. you, mean, you turn it into a comedy it kind of gets gets the point across in two different ways and, and that's what makes the book is it was fun for me to read was because mm. i couldn't stop like i know it's serious but like i was laughing because i'm like gosh man like these guys have the confidence that I wish I had. I, I mean, Those guys had a lot of confidence in what they were doing. Like they knew from the beginning they were not going to fail. Mm, and even yeah. in court, they, I mean, to, toward, until the end, obviously. But, but uh, when you were, did you, did you get to talk to those guys a lot? I know you talk with Sam a lot
1: from sure, the story. Sure, sure.
0: What was their, what is their confidence? Like, is it that New York bravado that very like overly confident
1: kind yeah, of way. you know this came out this all originated actually if you really want to go back far enough it originated in syria you know right where the jewish community was a was a small and and uh, well it wasn't that small really actually i think it was about 10 percent of the population of aleppo at one point now it's like zero throughout the arab world but those days it was, was aleppo was very multicultural and had a very large jewish community which was mainly in involved in the um in the trade, you know, mercantile trade, and it was very—that's all that really Jews could do. You know, that was the only trade permitted uh, for Jews. They couldn't become doctors. They couldn't—I don't know if there were lawyers and those. But, you know, they couldn't—they couldn't ride camels. It was—it was—they were persecuted. Jews were persecuted until so they became merchants, and they were very good at being merchants. And 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 Eddie sort of followed in that tradition. You know, they—they they came over. His grandparents came over in 1920. Right after the First World War, because you know how things are in, in the Middle East, you know, wars never end. And so World War One never ended. You know, it ended in Europe, but it didn't end in the Middle East. It just continued. The Turks continued to fight the French. You know, it's, it's not commonly known, but it was the war continued through the 1920s, you know, um, and, and Turks were never really defeated. But anyway. So things got very bad for minorities. Obviously, there was genocide of the Armenians, and the Jews didn't get genocide; that was to come. But uh, uh, back then, they just uh, the, uh, the Jewish community just really flocked out of out of Aleppo and Syria. Aleppo is, by the way, the large is a large town in north Syria. It's bigger than Damascus. Everybody knows about Damascus. Aleppo is much bigger. You know? Anyway, so they came to New York. They settled in the Lower East Side, the worst part of the Lower East Side, you know, because these were Jewish people. They wanted to live among other Jews. They wanted to know synagogues and other. But they were kind of like, you know, they didn't speak Yiddish, and they were like, uh, you know, they were like, uh, I wouldn't say oddballs, but they were like, but you know, they to them, the Jewish community uh, that uh, was throughout New York, New York, they were the oddballs, and what are they speaking this German dialect? And was so odd, they. You know, the Syrian Jews spoke Arabic, which is almost Hebrew, you know. Um, but they just had to continue the mercantile tradition in New York City. And uh, that's when uh, mainly in these, this really crummy part of the Lower East Side where they were sort of relegated to live on Allen Street. You know, it was a street 30 feet wide with an elevated train running overhead. You can imagine the kind of conditions. There were rats. Worse rats than today, and the rats are making a comeback in New York, as New York police can, can tell you, you know, New York rats, are, they're coming. back. Uh, they're pretty big in the 1920s, too, and conditions, conditions were really awful, but they made the best of it. They couldn't speak English. They couldn't speak Yiddish. They just got by on their wits and uh, they were great salesmen. They, if they didn't have a store, they would go out selling dry goods out of backpacks and out of push carts. They're great salesmen. Eddie came out of that tradition. Eddie became, was set up in business by his father, who was a Syrian merchant, a Syrian window dresser, actually, he made window displays throughout the country, and he became very wealthy, fairly, fairly wealthy, and he set up his son in a store on King's Highway, and, in a middle, lower middle class part of New York City, out of the way part of New York City. And he set, a, set him up here. And Eddie, you know, this was his only, this was his beginning. He only had f- like 40% of the store because he had two partners. He had his father and he had a cousin as a partner. So he, everything well, everything was sort of stacked against him. And he got into the electronics business as a small merchant in, in King's Highway. And, you know, it's real American. You can call it, uh, you know, real American sort of American success story, you know. He, except that in order to rise above his origins, he was committing fraud left and right and right and left, you know. And that's what the book is about all the fraud he was committing, but accompanied by a real sharp instinct toward selling to the young people his eddie's generation he he had a real genius at selling to young people uh that no one else had
0: now were they the first to really do commercials like that like i I, I was too young to remember but i can remember those commercials in particular but was anybody else doing commercials like that
1: well um they're actually sort of similar commercials uh, that were carried out by uh, there, was, there was this guy a few years earlier before Eddie Eddie started his commercials in 1976, and in the early 70s, you know, there was there were commercials by by a guy who, who called Jerry Rosenberg, the Electronics, who put on a hard hat. He's uh, uh, you know, come to Jerry. You know, kind of, he he had a sort of a similar shtick, you know. Yeah. And in, in in California back in the fifties, I don't, I don't even know if Eddie even knew about this. Uh, you know, there there was a um, there was a merchant uh, there, there was a merchant who used to sell cars. You know, by, by doing that, it, 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 the whole idea of having a crazy merchant, a guy who is so crazy, he's practically giving stuff away. That's, that's old. That's been around forever. And as a matter of fact, I, made, I just made a brief allusion earlier to Car 54, Where Are You? You know, very popular TV show. There was one commercial where they had this big segment on a, on a merchant who did just that. And Eddie was a devotee of Car 54, Where Are You? And so Undoubtedly, he was aware of that. And he stole, like everything, he stole the idea. You know, there's exactly. nothing wrong with that because he did it better than anyone in the past, better than anyone in history.
0: The crazy version shtick. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they, I, I, it worked for them. They, but they say, I guess they always say, like, nothing is original. Like, nothing no, yeah, is original. No, Nothing's no, no. original. No, no. Um, but I do think it's, I think it's fitting right now, um, to, because we're talking about uh, commercials and audacious ads and ad reads. Uh, but you know, we as on this show, we have to. Uh, sell ads to keep the show driving on air. So in your – like in honor of you, all right, or like maybe in honor of of Crazy Eddie paying tribute and homage, I'm going to do today's ad read in my best Eddie uh, impersonation as I can. Are you ready? Go ahead. All right. Today, baby, Ghostbed. ghostbed Ghostbed.com. Today's show is brought to you by Ghostbed. Made in the good old USA, baby. USA. USA. Where journalism (laughs) – might be dead, but you know what? It's coming back, baby. And the renaissance of journalism is coming back in the USA. This Labor Day weekend, GhostBet is offering 30% off luxury adjustable bases, 25% off of betting. I don't know how they do these sales. 40 to 50% off adjustable base bundles, 50% off the memory foam toppers. Use that promo code WOLFPACK for additional savings. If you don't use that promo code, make sure that when you go to the checkout, if you're using the other sales that are on the site, Make sure in the customer survey you drop Wolfpack in there that you heard about him on failure to stop. Gives us credit, baby. We all love Ghostbed. 0% down, 0% financing, and that's if you have Last Row Lopez credit. You heard it from me first, guys. Get you a Ghostbed. We all love them. We all rave about them. They've been a loyal sponsor from the beginning. Sleep so good, it's scary. All right. Sorry. Back to you. That
1: was wonderful. That was
0: was terrific. I mean, I could have done better. I think I could have Ah, done better. could have done better. We're going to go in
1: and buy one of them ghost beds. Whatever it is, I don't know what it
0: is. Bed. Ghost beds, they're phenomenal beds. I Actually, Mike the mm-hmm. Cop, my partner has one. His kids got one. Everybody we know, my neighbors have them. Uh, they've so, been a loyal sponsor for uh, the, the podcast network that we were on for, I don't know, six years he now. you so, got a slow uh, convention. We love them. We love Ghostbed, and, and they're, they've are they been a, a huge benefit to our show. Yes. Uh, we couldn't have a show without them, to be honest with you. But uh, how long did it take you to write, you know, from from the, the time you had the idea, how did you get the idea, first of all, uh, to write the book?
1: Well, I uh... – I was I I never actually set foot in a crazy eighty store. You know, I I shopped elsewhere. I didn't. uh, I wasn't really into it. Into it. My father was an electronic engineer, and he believed in buying stuff on Radio Row and and, and, in 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 gray market gulch, which I describe in the book. You know, going to gray market whatever. it is. I never really set foot in it. However. about 15 years ago, I kept a blog and uh, Eddie, uh, Eddie, I should say, Sam E. Antar, who was one of the, it was a fellow named Sam E. Antar, uh, left a very long comment on the blog. And um, I turned it into a blog post. It was very interesting. And that's how I got to know Sam. Sam E. Antar was the cousin Of Eddie Antar. He was the chief accountant, he was the chief financial officer, and he was kind of one of the masterminds of the fraud, of the accounting fraud. That was sort of the the became sort of how Eddie really made money, really got in trouble, and really, really, really went to prison after a while. Um, This was the informant. This was the whistleblower, the informant, the... Whatever you want to call that, and he, he was very a very interesting character. By the time he contacted me, by the time I got to know him, he had I think really completely reformed. He you know he had gotten into religion, a Jewish religion. He was, you know, the concept of teshuva, repentance. He was really into it. You know, and I've known a lot of of guys who were criminals, who were felons, and you know, the, frankly, the majority of them don't really reform. They just you know. Well, they don't really reform; they just don't. Yeah,
0: you know. right. They're One, just more sorry that they got caught. They're just sorry they got caught. Well, he was sorry
1: he got caught. And look, he's the first to admit. Look, uh, you know, I'm sorry I got caught, and that's like I don't want to speak for him, but he can do that himself.
0: Well, I, his interviews are 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 incredible. I I, yeah. I think it was like a TED Talk I saw him on. I, the guy is super funny. Matter of fact, when I first saw his interview, I thought he was Crazy Eddie for a second. Oh, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. but he was. not He was Eddie's kid cousin. Yeah. Uh, the little nerd, you know, who was really into finance. And I mean, he was the one who was, you know, nobody really thought very much of him. He was this little guy, this little nerd. And hey, he eventually guided Eddie in the right path, the path toward real big time criminality. He was one of the few people uh, of his generation in, 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 that, in, in his family who had gone to college um he was going to be the accountant of uh, the family account there was already a family lawyer he was going to be the family accountant. and he was and so he i got to know him i got to know sam and through sam i got a window into crazy eddie and
0: over time i i decided to write a book and and how long did it take you to to write the book
1: oh well, uh, i had sort of conducted preliminary interviews a long time ago you know just sort of get an idea of what it was about and you know have something to go to publishers with sort of uh, that was a long time ago, and I was diverted by other projects, you know, I yeah. went to work at Portfolio Magazine for a time, and I wrote a, another book, you know, in the interim on another subject. Uh, I I started working on this book really full-time, just as the pandemic began. How's that for luck? <laughs> just, really, literally, Mar- I, I remember so we signed the contract in February, I believe it was, and March 2020 is when I began
0: work. Well, I, I feel like that would be a little bit easier because then you're just stuck at home and you have no excuse to do anything else but sit well, home and write.
1: True, but as any police officer can attest, if you're investigating something, you want to go and meet them in person. You just don't want
0: to. Oh them yeah, That's I would have wanted
1: to go and talk to these people in person. Right. But uh, yeah, it's funny. I, I, you know, I never came down with COVID, to my knowledge. Uh, so I was talking to all these people on the phone, whatever, and, you know, toward the latter stages of my, my reporting, there was a person I really wanted to talk to. And then I came down with Lyme disease and I was crippled by it. Oh, because, you know, I, 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 had like this bad luck when it came, when it came to, when it came to that. But, and yeah, and so Lyme, March, but... 2020, March, 2020 is when I started working on it. And then I really, you know, I was still doing reporting earlier this year because other stuff was coming out. Uh, you know, right to you know, this time let's run the presses. You know, and my my editor
0: would say, "What are you doing? You keep on rewriting. What are you doing?" It worked out. It worked out. Uh, yeah, I the reason I asked, I, I started writing a book four years ago, four years, and years and I finally years. finished the book this year. I finally finished the book this year, and it's a it's more or less a comedy. It's a true story about my life as a cop, but it's told in in a comedy because I like to. I like things to be in comedy, uh, but it, it's, it's very, I guess, you know, because I didn't have to go out and interview anybody. So that mm-hmm. makes sense. But like, I think the hardest part for me writing a book was just sitting down and doing it. It was just so many other excuses. I had to go do other things except sit down and write. Um, what are you working on now? Well,
1: I have a few things I'm mulling over, you know, I nothing I'm in a position now to discuss, <laughs> but uh, there's just a few things, a few irons in the fire. Yeah, that analogy. I've got an iron in the fire because we gonna get pull the iron out of the fire. It's very dangerous. So I have an iron in the fire right now. The fire <laughs> is in the next room. It is the
0: fire? And now, do you do like a lot of your writing? Do you do it from home? You said you live in the country. Did you select no, a place?
1: No, 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 I don't live in the country. I just have this place. No, no, I live in the city. Oh, okay. The city. Okay. Uh, you know, it's rent stabilized. Eh? I live there uh, over six months a year. Okay, uh, I'm here just in the summer for a few weeks at a time.
0: Now, do you, is that like your escape to write, or is that like your vacation to yeah, not write? A
1: vacation place, you know. We're in the middle of nowhere. You know, I have a tomato plants out there, and a <laughs> woodshed back there. And, uh, you know, we got a porch here, two porches. Very so, nice, very nice. How far? far? In most locations, actually.
0: Did you venture out, you know, far from the fifty-six, the fifty-second precinct, or, or, uh, do you, did you stay close to where your roots were, where you were born, uh, yeah. or are you completely opposite?
1: Roots to the fifty-second
0: precinct? Are you kidding me? I don't know anything <laughs> about New York. I'm <laughs> to be honest, I've been, about, I've been to New York like once. I went to a no, no,
1: no, I'm down in the Village, which is getting to be a lot like the fifty-second precinct. Right uh, where I live, uh, some poor woman was recently. Um, Somebody broke into her apartment and and, and, and sexually assaulted her, right in ah. the part of the village. Yeah.
0: You know, the village
1: is—it's just a shame, really. Crime is going up in the city, as some of your viewers will know. And it's,
0: it's just yeah, it's it's a, crazy it's since
1: I—it's not back up to the old days, the bad old days, but it's 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 getting bad.
0: It's, it's yeah, I, I think uh, when I left, um, when I when I left my my beat where i where i worked i worked in the city of raleigh raleigh police department um and uh crime is up like i think 22 percent now in three years which gets to me that's a lot like 22 percent it's a big jump in crimes especially when you think of it like from a victim standpoint like that's a lot of victims uh and it's hard to see man it's hard to see but you know we live in a time where you know our hands are tied and and you know fighting crime is not as easy as it used to be. There's a there's a lot more rules. Um, okay. and it seems like the rules uh, favor the suspects over the victims. I mean, the victims lose a lot of rights, and we, you know, I always say that you can't forget that you know the victims are the ones that, that lose out here. It's not the police state. It's not you know the suspect state, but it's the victims who lose out at the end of the day. Um, and, uh, well, and the that's, public, that's- I think it's
1: I think the public is starting to come around to that. Even in places like New York City, which you know knee jerk reaction elects, um, elects people who automatically uh, take positions not very favorable to law enforcement. I think that the public of the New York City is gradually occurring to them Wait, wait a minute, this isn't my interest. They're beginning yeah. to think in those terms. You know, it, it's the same thing happened in New York City in the 1970s, really, where there was a terrible amount, of much worse than it is today, and finally, um people got fed up and they elected Giuliani you know now you know he's kind of going rogue shall we say but back right day, he was considered a pretty good mayor right um, I think that might happen in this in the city and you know getting back to the to Boca, um the crazy Eddie story one of the reasons Eddie was able to carry out the frauds that he was able to carry out was because he and which involved uh for instance insurance fraud on a wide scale Tax fraud, warranty fraud, um, but look at tax fraud. Um, what he was doing with tax fraud paled in significance to this this sort of sewer that New York City had become in the 1970s and 1980s. Violent crime was running, you know, insurance fraud. Insurance fraud is terrible, but compare that to entire stretches. Of the South Bronx um, being burned uh, and not being able to walk the streets, uh, you know, it just didn't seem. That, that, you know, he was kind of able to sort of he sort of built, melted into the background, and that's what happens when you have, when law and order generally breaks down. Is that sure it makes it makes things different? There's there's more street crime, but there's also more fraud taking place, sort of semi street crime fraud, which is what Eddie carried out.
0: Uh, yeah, now did you because you're 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 from that area? So did you ever when you were did you shop at at Crazy Eddie's ever? Did you ever buy anything from Crazy Eddie back in the day? No, I didn't really nah.
1: buy anything. I, I you know my father was an electrical engineer and he believed in buying stuff in uh, mainly mainly the uh, mainly the um, what was known as Gray Market Gulch. This was a stretch of Canal Street where you could go mm-hmm. and get really good bargains, but you, sometimes the merchandise was was actually you know, intended for export, so it didn't have the right kind of plugs or whatever, but the disc, so you get a, an adapter. Uh, the prices were much lower. Uh, he, he had an aversion, he kind of, you know, uh, he passed in the mid 90s, but yeah, you know, he kind of, he kind of like inculcated in me a, an aversion to hard sales and, and, and to sleazy type places. He was a hard, he was a difficult customer, the kind of customer that Eddie had to encounter in his first store which was down in um uh, down in king's highway you know he had to inc- encounter customers like me like my father and and you know that was like a real boot camp for eddie he had to learn how to deal with people like me uh mm-hmm. and that's how he learned and, and he, had, he had earlier than that he, he had become a uh he learned how to, how to sell how to really how to hard sell how to root rook customers uh, on Times Square, in the days when Times Square was a re- wasn't like Disneyland like it is today, it was really a sewer, it was really the pits. And it was lined with these gift shops uh, that ripped off, that were, that were there for the exclusive purpose of ripping off uh, tourists. And this is how he learned how to rip people off. You know, he, the markup, you know, you, you take a $50 camera, you sell it for $500, that kind of thing blatant ripple this is how he learned um you know the techniques of salesmanship that he brought to uh, to crazy
0: eddie uh switching gears over you, your the book before this one was that was the the book before this one born to steal
1: no i did a book uh after uh around the time of the financial crisis on uh, ayn rand
0: ayn rand yeah i didn't know if ayn rand or born to steal came first yeah um,
1: Steel came first yeah
0: Okay. And Born to Steal, a lot about the mafia. And I've actually had Michael Franzese on the show uh, from the Colombo family. Fascinating, fascinating episode. Um, how how was that writing that book? And what was the research into that book like, Born to Steal versus kind of this?
1: Yeah. Well, the research for that was somewhat different. Because I was focusing much more intensely on this one individual, Louis Bizzuto, who was uh sort of uh you know the focus of the book, at one broker uh, his journey through like 18 brokerage firms and how the mob got its claws in them and, and he was focusing much more on this one person his experiences and his written more from his point of view whereas crazy Eddie, anyway, although i did have a a primary source in the uh crazy eddie book it wasn't with sam Antar, the guy who you know right I got to know, it, some years ago. it wasn't really told from his point of view. It was told from multiple points of view because, you know, uh, his point of view was very limited. He, he wasn't in the stores. He only had a limited knowledge of the trade. So it turned out to be, you know, uh, multiple sources based largely. The book is based uh, largely on the public record, which is just not stuff you can just go on the internet and pull off, but stuff that... It, into the public domain court transcripts depositions um you know we're talking about stuff that happened 30 years ago and more so um you know even in you know even if i could interview a person it's always better to have the testimony that they gave not long after the events so sure i wasn't able to interview for instance eddie's wife who was a major character in the story his first wife but i had all their depositions or most of her deposition testimony so not superior to whatever she might recall, you know, 30 years. I would have
0: wanted to talk to
1: her, but she didn't want to talk to me.
0: So uh, Debbie one, did you get to talk to Debbie too? No, I to talked to her briefly, but we never she
1: I was never able to connect with Debbie too. I wanted to talk to her too. I want to talk to her, her kid, you know, she uh you know, I no, I didn't have very much luck with the family. Alan
0: right. Do you think her. any of the family read your read the book?
1: Well, I know that they hated the book. Before it came out, because I know some of them posted on uh, on Facebook, which they hated. It was a terrible book, but they didn't even come out. In fact, I was still in process of editing the book. I remember at the time, and I agreed on it because yeah, you know, it had been announced. It was announced in I believe February, and um, uh, immediately, because the the title immediately told them this is not going to be a puff piece on Eddie, a retail gangster. You know, this is not. You know, the art came out. I think the art came out at the time. Uh, so they were immediately posted. I saw immediately posted. Oh, this is a terrible book. This, this, this is awful. I hadn't even read it yet. And I and no one had read it yet. You know, right. I did not finished writing
0: it. Should have sent them a copy. Yeah. Well. I mean, are they mad at Sam? Sam Antar? Are they, are they, uh, are they just as mad at him for? Given you all the information, or well, they've been mad at
1: him for a long time, you know, right? Because the Antar family were, were angry at him. Obviously, Eddie's loyalists were angry at him for testifying in court, but as I point out, you know, it's not like Eddie and him were the blood brothers, sure, they were very close at one point, but that didn't continue. And uh, he owed Eddie nothing,
0: every time. right?
1: Eddie kind of screwed him over. You
0: know. I, I like how, like, Sam mentions that he was kind of born into crime, like, they bred him. To mm-hmm. go to college just to to commit crime, they were like, "You're going to be an accountant because yeah. you're going to to do this." And that was kind of his perception
1: mm-hmm.
0: on that that whole thing, which is just a crazy way. And I think you, the prologue of your book kind of like explains that they they were almost born into this kind of way of crime.
1: Right. Yeah. No, there's no question about that. Well, Eddie was a Sammy. I should say Sam Ian. Yeah, so there were several Sams in the book. I have a family tree. Sure. 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 Oh, But Sammy Antar, um, who became chief financial officer, the chief accountant. uh, Yeah, he, um, you know, Eddie uh, said, look, you know, I want you to I want you to be my 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 good right hand. I want you to be, you know, you're going to be my financial advisor. Yeah. Yeah. That's what he became. He sent him to to college. uh, All expense paid, although it was City University, which at the time didn't cost much. Nevertheless, you sent him to college and and put him through it there are some expenses and that he paid it and he, and he continued working for Eddie as a matter of fact he uh, after he left uh, after he graduated uh, from from college uh, with his accounting degree his business degree he uh, went to work for the accounting firm that was auditing crazy Eddie it was very convenient you know that he was working for the auditor the crazy Eddie's auditors you know we got to know all these people
0: who we're, were auditing reading really. uh, What What's it like when you when you finish your book and you've told the story? I, I know unfortunately the family doesn't get to read it, but like, what's the satisfaction for you knowing that you got this story on paper and that folks like myself and our listeners and you know after this show there'll be a, a great number of police officers or, or firefighters, first responders, will be sitting in their car reading your book. I mean, is there is there a big sense of pride uh, in that? Are you you know, what, what is that feeling like? For you.
1: Well, it's a great feeling of relief, huh? Oh, finally, I got this over with. You know, <laughs> you know it's a lot of work. Let's it me. is. It's a lot of work. I mean, I'm glad it's over. You know, it's always great to finish something. You know, move on. But then again, of course, one must one must make it known to the world. So, which is what I'm doing right now. Well, I always have a great feeling of satisfaction, pride. Well, I guess so. Yeah. You know, pride. I guess. You know, because you never know how people are going to react to a book. Are they going to like it? Are you going to hate it? I mean, I've been getting very favorable reviews, knock on wood. But look, for all I knew, it could have been lousy. You know, you never know when you write a book the kind of reaction it's going to get. It's entirely possible people are going to hate it. I I haven't had a single negative review, which I just said. I just said that probably there'll be a negative review in (laughs) 10 minutes. But... I haven't gotten a single negative review. Not even on Goodreads, you know. Not even on you know, nobody's. Not even on Amazon, you know. I, I, mean, I mean, people usually say, "Oh, I hate this book; it stinks." on ice. I mean, "No, I haven't done
0: that." Well, it's a fascinating outcome. story, and you you uh-huh. did a wonderful job writing it. Yeah. Um, I was I was hooked from the beginning. Fortunate
1: that I haven't gotten uh, slammed yet, but uh, I was. You know, there's a ch- fellow who uh, actually. Wrote a, I mean, it's interesting actually. One of the former Crazy Eddie store managers who was very sympathetic to Eddie Hentoff, uh, and he and he posts on, on Facebook and I've read it. And, and, but he he actually he's a journalist, he became a journalist, definitely. And he wrote an interview and he interviewed me and they did an article for a New Jersey newspaper. and I was rather, rather apprehensive, you know, before going into this. Uh, geez, you know, is this guy gonna yeah? I mean, I did the interview, yeah, nice guy, but I was wondering, you know, is this guy gonna. Do a hatchet job, and no, he wrote a really fair piece, it was a very nice piece. So even uh, Crazy Eddie's store manager, yeah. is, is who liked Eddie, is is uh, doing did a favorable review. So I was I was really surprised. Cool right.
0: review, yeah. Uh, yeah. Now, do you get like uh, was it different for uh for for your other book Born to Steal or yeah. from Ayn Ran um. Ayn Rand Nation? Was was it different that way, or did you kind of get the same kind of feedback from those two books?
1: Well, uh, the feedback I'm getting now is very similar to the feedback I got for Born to Steal. You know, um, Ayn Rand, I I had a book on Ayn Rand, how Ayn Rand, this this philosopher, was influencing, um, you know, the way people were approaching the financial crisis, kind of. You know, she's very influential with Wall Street executives and financiers and politicians and so forth. I uh, the thing about that that book and, and that person is that well, she's been dead for about 30 years, but she has a cult following, you know. You know, Eddie Antar had a cult following, but but it's a small cult following of former store managers and, and, and employees. So it's a small cult following and they mainly, you know, talk to each other on Facebook. Ayn Rand has an immense cult following and they hated it. You know, and every one of one who hated it. You know, wrote reviews on 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 Amazon, so that and it got good reviews by real reviewers, by you know professional reviewers, but you know the you know, the people you know I was bombarded, but with hate by the people who love Ayn Rand, you know, because she still has a so it's a little different, you know, when you write about Ayn Rand versus a beloved philosopher, then who you know is a little extreme, then writing about a person who was a who was a felon and, and Although still widely admired by some,
0: okay. now has anybody else from the Crazy Eddie family that you know of read the book and, and reached out to you?
1: Mm, nobody's reached out to me uh, from the Crazy Eddie family. No, I haven't had any reach reaching out. It's uh, been um, I don't know whether they've read it. I say they hated it. Um right. So I don't know whether they're, uh, you know I haven't had any. I haven't gotten any reaction. But you know, it's it's early, so we'll see.
0: Now, when you, when you're out on the, the, you know, you have to sell, sell the book, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, are, are you going to a lot, uh, are you doing like a lot of book signings or like, like book meetups at bookstores and kind of what is that like for oh, you? I
1: love to do books. Again, you know, don't forget, it's pretty early. The book just came out. Yeah, so um, right. people are just learning about the book. I, I just spoke to somebody who is actually a re- reviewer for a, uh, a large newspaper who told me that they only became aware of the book when it was reviewed in the New York times, which is only like two, three weeks ago. So the people only just starting to learn about the book. I'm just only starting to get invitations for book readings. So, you know, I, I already arranged one, which will be uh, somewhere in New York city in the East village sometime in September, late September. So yeah, I've, I've only begun really to, you know, do, do podcasts, uh, broadcasts, podcasts and broadcasts and interviews. It's only just because of the, the 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 process is only just beginning, but I will be doing as many uh, book uh, you know book events as as will as will
0: have for me you know? <laughs> as many as that'll is- you know. I mean, the
1: number of bookstores is is is, is like it's like in journalism. You know, the if newspapers declining, the number of bookstores is really declining. I think there's only one large Barnes and Noble left and. All of New York City. I'd be happy to appear there,
0: certainly. But yeah. Man, there are only one I didn't yet.
1: You know, operators are standing by call. I'll go. <laughs> I'll, I'll be happy to. The Strand,
0: one of my favorite bookstores. Why haven't
1: they invited me? They can invite
0: me. You need to I- call them up. I'll call them up and tell them to go invite out. you. I'll yeah, call them up. The Strand. I'll, I'll the tell stand. my followers, look, if, if the Strand uh, bookstore in New York, you guys go over there. Throw throw in a comment. That'll be our call. We always do a call to action on Last Call. We usually do it like some kind of way of like something to do on your day off, like take your kids on a bike ride or uh, go build a fort in the living room. Today's call to action is go to the Strand, uh, find them. Go on, and tell Broadway. them to get Gary Weiss in there for a for a book signing or a book meetup. Yeah.
1: You can identify the strand because of all the homeless people sleeping outside. You know, it's at 12th and Broadway.
0: You <laughs> know, <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. is there a lot of homeless people still? So I live out in the country, man. I'm am a country yeah. guy. I live in the middle, like I've 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 been born and raised in the South. I, I'm from Saint Augustine, Florida, originally. Um, so I was, I was from a very small. Uh, beach fishing village nice. you either you either worked on the docks you worked in the restaurants you worked on the boats you did something on the water yeah. um and, and so the, you know the, it was a very small town vibe and now i live mm-hmm. in the middle of nowhere north carolina yeah, and nice. uh and it's the same way so i'm not a big city guy i don't know we don't see a lot of homeless people and even in raleigh raleigh did not have you know i did a live show in austin texas and i'd never seen more homeless people in my entire life really austin no. Texas. oh man it was now i went back this year so that was two years ago but this year i went back for another live show and they'd cleaned it up a lot because they passed some new ordinances that they couldn't just sleep anywhere um i have not been in new york in probably 25 years really? so i don't know okay. a lot about what it's new york City changed
1: was. believe you me who has it
0: changed last time i was there the world trade centers were still there and uh, so it's been it's been a hot hot minute. Is 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 the homeless is the homeless problem getting worse or is it getting better in New York?
1: Well, nothing's getting better in New York. I mean, I mean what, what is getting better? If you can identify one thing about New York City that's getting better, I mean, well, there's more luxury housing. I mean, wow, you know, to put up, you know, where the homeless people can can rent apartments for eighty thousand dollars a month. You know, New York City has become like a city of the extremely wealthy and the homeless and the be poor. The middle class is being sort of squeezed out. This is taking place without all five boroughs. I mean, you can't buy a house or an apartment. Yeah. Well, you can't buy an apartment in, in New York City without, you know, unless you've won the lottery or, or something. It's it's, insane.
0: it's it's crazy because, you know, where, where I live, I know more New Yorkers than I know... North Carolinians. Everybody that lives here is from New York. Everybody. And they all talk about New York, though. And I've always wondered, it's like, why Why do you leave New York?
1: Uh, well, why, did you leave, why did they leave New York in the 1970s? In the 1970s, New York lost, at least, the census found 10% of the population departed between 1970 and 1980. And now, of course, that's the census, so it's always an underestimate. Mm-hmm. 10% population decline in the 1970s because of crime. That's it. No other reason.
0: Crime. It wasn't it wasn't
1: anything else. That's well, why so so This
0: is, a, so this is a, pol- a police related show. We do have a, you know, the majority of listeners are uh, a police officer sitting in their police car. I, maybe they would want to know from an author's standpoint from somebody that's not connected to the job at all, do you have a solution to that problem in, in your own mind or, or, or what you think it would be?
1: Yeah, no, I don't really. I mean, uh, I'm not an expert in law enforcement. And, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I barely know my own business, much less how to tell other people how to do their jobs. You know, I hate it when people tell me how to do my job. I'm not going to tell someone how to do their job, how to run the police force in New York City. I know that, uh, you know, it's this crime is going up. They got to do something about it, you know, and they're not. They're not. You know, Eric Adams. We have a new police uh, commission. uh, Oh, do you? we have a new mayor. I should say. I don't know. He talks a good game, but I I don't
0: know. Yeah, I I don't know that it's so much like the police officers. Like the police officers have like a very basic job to do, but it's all the politics. It's it's all the upper management that really pulls the strings on how the job is done. So it's not like I think like every cop probably has their own idea on how they could clean up the city, but like you know, it's it. You're kind of like beating a drum on deaf ears. Nobody's, nobody's listening. Nobody, nobody, nobody cares to hear. about what
1: the beat cops said. Nobody cares about what the beat cops said in the 1970s, and they're not going to care about what the beat cops says today. You know, I knew, I sort of had a sense uh, that things were going to start to really get bad in New York City after de Blasio became mayor, and when he permitted crowds of demonstrators to block traffic on the Brooklyn as soon as he did that, that was the Bloomberg would not have allowed that. The previous mayor Bloomberg would not have allowed that. But I said, no. that's, people to do this. that's not that's not gonna worry. If this is this and, and that of course is a decision made at the very top. It's not made by the policeman it's made at the very top. As soon as that happened, and that was a good uh, good eight years ago. As soon as that happened, I knew things were gonna start to turn bad, you know, because yeah. if, if you can't enforce if if, if people are not safe if people are not safe in their homes and in their businesses, they're going to get out. I mean, they're not going to complain necessarily, and they're not going to make a big fuss about it, but they will leave. You know, that's how people, this is how ordinary people vote, uh, in, 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 in cities. Okay. When, when, when law and order begins to break down, they leave if they can afford it, if they can't afford it, well, then they're screwed. You know, my relatives, I had relatives living in the South Bronx, my my aunt, my uncle, uh, they were stuck there. They couldn't afford to leave, so they had to withstand it. You know, and the funny thing is, crime is a war on the poor. See, whether it's fraud, crazy Eddie, yeah. it's primarily. Although, well, crazy Eddie was. He also committed fraud against the government and insurance companies. Look, fraud. Street crime is a is a crime against. This I much I know. That crime is a war against the poor, and it's a, against a war against people who don't have a voice. And that's the irony, because the people who have the voice are least interested in correcting the
0: problem, right? Yeah, and the it, least
1: affected by it.
0: Yeah, it's like it's not their problem. They just okay. they kind of move on from it. Uh, here's a real fun question. It'll probably be the last question I asked you for today. Um, you're New York, born and bred, yeah. Uh, and I, and I, I, I'm guessing that you know, like most New Yorkers, a lot of pride in being from New York. Uh, have you ever been to Chicago?
1: I went to school actually right outside Chicago. I went to graduate school outside Chicago at Medill. Perfect. In 70s, in Evanston, Illinois. And I would go into Chicago.
0: Well then the, then you will you will at least have context for my question. Chicago pizza or New York pizza?
1: Well, you know, I haven't been to Chicago in a long time. I went back to Chicago on a business trip uh many in the 80s i guess in the yeah in the 90s and i went to a pizza place because i wanted to answer that question i didn't really like the pizza you know i i just didn't care for it i i have to admit it i think it had a thin crust okay remember serves me right it had a thin crust now, i don't what's this thin crust you know I, I i i didn't care for it but that was years ago <laughs> i'm not qualified to really make a judgment
0: I, I love – New. there's one thing I remember about New York. Uh, it was I was obsessed with the street hot dogs because I had never had a street hot dog. Um, they, they didn't have – we don't have street hot dog carts where I grew up. Uh, still don't have street hot dog carts where I'm at right now. Raleigh has a few. But in New York, I remember having a, a hot dog from the street and just thought it was the greatest thing on earth. And I, and I ended up becoming like um, – uh, like not obsessed, but hot dogs became one of my favorite foods after my New York trip. I wanted hot dogs all the time, and I wanted a different kind. I actually had a whole blog that was dedicated to gourmet hot dogs. Yeah. Um, but the pizza, I also fell in love with the the New York the New York style pizza, yeah. and still to this day, I do crave New York style pizza, and, and it's my favorite style of pizza. I like it over Chicago style pizzas, mm-hmm. um, but I, I do like to debate people because a lot of people are, you know, it, it's kind of like right or left, right? Like. Everybody I mean, loves, you, you know you either love Chicago or you love New York style pizza there's nobody.
1: I haven't had that much Chicago pizza recently for me to you know, render it yeah I think when I went to grad school actually I
0: don't know if I even tried the pizza
1: back then it was probably better in those days.
0: Do you I have a favorite do you have a New York do you have a favorite New York cuisine or do you, do you like the hot dogs do you like the pizza? Is there something else in New York that's more healthy?
1: They are actually, I'll tell you, you know, you can really get good food if you know where to go in New York City, for instance. I mean, if you go down to yeah, you can go to Coney Island and eat their, their hot dogs, and they're good hot dogs and good fries at uh, Nathan's, okay. Yep, yep. But if you just walk a few blocks over to the east, uh, there are these amazing Russian and Ukraine, you know, Eastern European at Brighton Beach has amazing stores, you can get fantastic food, I mean, really good food. It's not American. It's like Georgian, Russian, blah blah blah. So, like less for for less money, you know. So why, you know? Yeah, sure, you can spend eleven dollars on a hot dog and fries, whatever at Nathan's. Go over, go over to Brighton Beach and get a real, a real nice meal over there. Yeah, uh,
0: I'm excited to venture back to New York, and and hopefully, I do get back up that way and. Mr. Weiss, I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, last, last question for you. Last question to follow it up. When you're writing, um, when you're writing your books, are you in your office, closed doors? Do you have a glass of wine? Do you have a glass of scotch? Is there a tea, a hot tea? What is your, kind of like, what is your rhythm into getting into writing? A lot of cops have to write reports and things like that. But I always wonder, what, what is it that you do to kind of get you in the mood to write? How do you write? Well, I don't drink,
1: really. I don't really drink. It doesn't agree with me. It gives me a bellyache. I don't really drink. So I don't drink. I drink coffee, but I don't drink that much of it. I uh, I don't know. I just sort of, uh, I, don't really think, I haven't really thought about that. I just write when I'm sort of, uh, uh, when I'm sort of, uh, in, I have nothing else I can do. It's really <laughs> that comes down to that. It's very hard work, you know. It's not easy. It's very difficult. It is you know, difficult. I try to write when I when I can. When there's, when, there's nothing else, I have nothing else that I can. You know, I have no other distraction that I can use. I don't have to feed the cat. I don't have to whatever charge up my phone. Yeah, anything else, <laughs> I'll do that.
0: The planets are the planets. Have, do you read a lot?
1: Probably not as much as I as I should. You know, I, <laughs> I should read more. You know, I I, um, I I'm actually getting very interested in the. Uh, in the history of war, there's some really great books that come out of World War Two recently. I'm sort of a history buff. Yeah. And there's a new Ben McIntyre book coming out on the, you know, when I was a kid, I used to read about colditz, you know, I used to read about the books that came out on, on, on the prisoner of war. Been kind of interesting, you know, because I went to New yeah. York City public school, which were very much like prisons. So I, you know, <laughs> if, I I if, I I identified with the, with the prisoners. And there's a new book coming out on colditz castle by Ben McIntyre, who's a really good author. So I'm. I pre-ordered that oh nice and the way I hope a lot of people pre-ordered retail gangster and I, it's gonna be delivered in September
0: well I think uh, I think a lot of people at least from our show will go out and read retail gangster because um, you're, you're phenomenal to talk to you're're you're, you're, you're humble your sarcasm is hilarious but you're actually a very humble guy like I know you came out strong as oh. you're the best and you're the greatest but i I, I think you're one of the most humble. Authors that we've we've had on the show, and we we have oh, a no. lot of guys that just love the clout. And I, I feel like you're you don't you're very down to earth, and I, and I appreciate you. I, I feel like I could talk to you, um, all day long. Honestly, uh, you're a great storyteller, even without being on paper. Just just voice, just just talking Thank to you. me on podcast. You're a great storyteller. Are you
1: sure, you're talking about me because <laughs> you're not thinking about someone. Well, that's very nice of you. <laughs> to make that uh, make that allegation Uh, but if people would buy the book that would be very nice and you know it's very nice it's very important if you you buy the book and you enjoy it put a a review on Amazon you know some of Eddie's pals have been leaving these ones not reviewing even but leaving one star without leaving a review you know
0: yeah, yeah. You got to, you, if you're going to leave a one star, you at least, you need to at least make it entertaining wow. and let, let them know why. But uh, for, for our guys out there, make sure you you head over to retailgangster.com. That's retailgangster.com. Buy there. the book, pre order the book. It just came out. Look, I've read it. Order um, the book.
1: It's not, don't pre order it because it's no, coming out.
0: It's, it's out. Order it's it. Out. Order the book. I've read it. Uh, it took me about three days, two, uh, two two and a half days to read it. It was very yeah. easy to read. Uh, it kept me going. Listen, if you're in your, your, your police car, you, you, you got, we always have books in our beat bag. Um, you got to have a book in your beat bag because you never know when you're sitting on that homicide scene for six to eight hours, locked in the house, waiting for the detectives to do their thing. And you got nothing better to do. You reach in the, 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 uh, the case and grab the book. This is a very easy book to read. It's, it's very easy to follow the story. The characters are uh, each individual one is easy to remember and to plug away, and there's just story after story, and it just keeps getting better and better and better. Uh, I really did thoroughly enjoy the book. Leave a by review. Way, I,
1: I apologize in advance that one of the major characters is an FBI man. I apologize.
0: Oh, that's all right. I mean, like we you know, do, I know I mean, there's
1: some tension between, you know, yeah,
0: cat we've cat shit on cat. the FBI quite a bit on I mean, here. You know like, Probably not as much as we shit on state troopers. Yeah. I'm just kidding. We love all of them, but it's like the firefighter thing. Like we always, like I was in the army. So anytime there's a Marine, I always have to just really go hard on the paint, uh, running the jokes. And so on this show we do, we do, we go pretty hard on the FBI yeah. uh, and we go hard on state troopers. Those are the two that we, we make, we love to make but they're the toughest. So they, they should be able to take it yeah in theory in theory they should be able to take it yeah, so uh, nice. yeah. do you ever write any you ever going to write any law enforcement style books do you think oh, you've written them on the I, you know i you
1: know
0: i might you know
1: look if this subject idea comes along there's enough uh, interest in it sure
0: yeah, yeah. lots yeah. of stories lots of stories endless stories but hey mr wise i really really thoroughly appreciate you coming on today My pleasure. and uh, we're excited to go review your book. And sure. um, and hopefully, uh, you know, one more time, what's the bookstore in New York that you want to do the book signing at? Oh,
1: wow. Well, yeah, no, I mean, uh, the Strand Bookstore. More the Strand. But, you know, honestly, uh, more important for your readership or viewership is to, is to buy the book and put a nice review yeah. on Amazon. If you like it, if you don't like it, then just forget about it. Don't, don't even think about it anymore. I, they're going to like the book. They're going to like oh, the book.
0: There's nothing not people, to like about it. The majority, majority the
1: of people do, obviously. But if you like it, then you'll
0: put a nice five star. In. 100%. 100%. You heard it from most the man important himself. Thing, you know. Most important thing in life.
1: More in important
0: life. More important than your children, your wife. Well, uh, more important, important than going to church this Sunday. Go and leave yeah, a review. Yeah. Buy the book. Leave a good review. Leave those five stars. Uh, and actually, I you not even way. have
1: to read it, but that's a separate issue. <laughs> yeah, you, you <laughs> want to read it first, to be honest. Yeah, then leave your
0: review. Yeah, no, buy the book, leave the review, and then read it. Just go on my word alone because I'm the best, I'm the best book reviewer that's right. ever lived. Right um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. wow. Well, Gary, thank you for your time, brother. Uh, we'll talk to you soon, and uh, and thank you again for coming on, sir.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Cheers.